0: chapter number 5. We got down to about verse uh, 29 last time. Uh, so we have saw the Lord heal the man at the Pool of Bethesda at the beginning of this chapter and we have saw uh, that that was on the Sabbath day. The man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath and that brought about this controversy with the Jews and a controversy that won't end till they kill the Lord. But nevertheless, uh, the Lord has claimed to be the Son of God here and plainly claimed to be. They realized what He was saying. Jesus says, the Father works and I work. And we've began this discourse here. and, And the Lord has been showing the oneness of the Son and the Father. There's no judgment of the Father without the Son. They are one in judgment. There's no resurrection of the Father without the Son, nor the Son without the Father. There is no, um, there's no life. There's nothing outside of the two. And with that, Jesus says, you can't honor the Father without honoring the Son. And you can't honor the Son without honoring the Father. So, The two are one in in truth. They are one. They're inseparable. You can't remove the son from the father or the father from the son in anything. They are accomplishing the same work. They have the same will. They have the same love. They have the same desire. They are working to the same purpose. And we saw last time, we looked at these Two resurrections that the Lord speaks of. One is a resurrection of those that it states here that hear the word of God. The dead are going to hear and those that hear will live. So that's the resurrection that we see take place today. The salvation of the souls of man. God by His divine grace and power calls to them that are dead in sins and brings them from that death into the life of the kingdom of God. And then uh, in 28, 29, we see the resurrection at the end of the world, that all that are in the graves, everybody's going to be resurrected, everyone's going to stand before God, some is going to enter into everlasting life, and some into the resurrection of damnation. And that's where we'd like to I'd like to pause just right there for just a minute and let's look through the scriptures and just pull a few verses together about each of these resurrections and see what the Bible says about these the resurrection of life and the resurrection of death. So in Matthew 25, verse 34, some of these places we'll look at a verse or two and then later we'll look at another verse or two in the same section, but in Matthew 25 verse 34 this is the Lord, he's given the parable, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and so here the Lord remember the sheep and the goats is the parable here the Lord has divided and you know that division, that's Really, that's taking place today. The Lord is calling His sheep today as the gospel goes out. He's calling His sheep out from among the goats and bringing them into His flock. And at the end, His flock is going to be brought into life. And, you know, I I believe everybody has an understanding of that in our country, in our part of the world. That there's going to be a resurrection, that there's a heaven. But the Bible says here, inherit the kingdom prepared. This is something that God prepared and He didn't prepare it when I made a decision. He prepared this for His sheep before the foundation of the world. So this is God's work and God's doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Verse 51. Remember, we're thinking about the resurrection of life. 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter dedicated to resurrection. Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So what he's saying there is not everybody's going to die. When the Lord comes back, there will be a saved people that remain on the earth. There will be lost people that remain on the earth. They're not going to die and go the way of the grave like everybody before. But the Lord's going to come back and everyone's going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So here's the resurrection of life at the very end it's not going to be a week long process it's not going to take uh a days it's not going to take hours but in a moment in a twinkling of an eye that's how fast you know you talk about not having time to prepare when the when we realize that the end has come it's it's already come it's over There is no time to rush and grab something or get something squared away. But at the trump, the dead are raised and they're raised incorruptible. When we're born, we're born with a corruptible body. It corrupts as we live. It goes downhill as we're alive. It's not the same as it was, is it? And when it finally enters into the grave, it decays away, returns to dust. But this body that in the resurrection of life, those that are in the family of God are going to inherit, it's an incorruptible body. There is no going downhill as time goes on. You know, once a man reaches a certain place, there's a dread for what's left to come in life. There's none of that in this resurrection. They're raised in a body that will not decay, it will not corrupt, and cannot die. So the dead are raised incorruptible and we, so that scripture, he's addressing the people that are still alive when the Lord comes, those that are in the graves that were in Christ, they're going to raise up with a new body. And we that are still alive, whether that's us or another generation in the future, they're going to be changed. It's like taking off a garment and putting on another. Hold on just a minute and let me get changed. Well, at the last trump, those that are alive and remain, their corruptible body is going to be shed. It'll be burned up if you'll have it. And they'll have a new body as well. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So why is it a must? Because flesh and blood is cursed under the curse of sin. Adam, that that we inherit from Adam can never be right. So God gets rid of the Adam part and what's brought forth a body Not like Adam's. We all have bodies like Adam's. But John says we're going to have a body that's like his. We don't know what we shall be, but we know this. We'll be like him. We're going to have a body without sin, without corruption, because flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption... And this mortal shall have put on immortality. So, that word mortal is liable to die. That's the way we all live. We're liable to die at any moment. And so, the mortal man is going to put on immortality. No more fear of death. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? that's easily read and missed, that is a a cheer for joy and victory. It's an army that's won the victory. They're standing over the enemy and they're rejoicing in the victory. That's the way the church is going to do over death in this day. That the grave is defeated. Death has been defeated. The very last enemy that's left for us to face will be defeated in the resurrection at the end and the grave will never ever be a fear again that means there's no more separation the grave brings cruel separation separation between the the dearest loved ones there will be no separation in the resurrection of life we'll be with the family of God remember the Adam man is gone Granny and grandpa and mom and daddy and wife or husband or children. That's not going to matter in the resurrection of life. Remember, they come to the Lord one day. And they said, your sisters and brothers and your mother, they want to talk to you. And he said, this is my family. They that hear the word of God and keep it. So we're going to be left leaving the Adam." Side, the flesh and blood side the fleshly relationship side all that's going to be left all of that corruption is gone and we're raised in newness of life with a new incorruptible body with a new immortality no more liability to die and complete victory over death and over the grave in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 16, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So here is the Lord returning. This sounds very much like what we saw in Matthew, what we saw in 1 Corinthians. Here's a people that are still alive and living on the earth and a people that are dead and in the grave. And when the Lord comes back, the dead in Christ are brought forth and they're called up with the Lord. And then us that are alive and remain, we change our garments. We get rid of the filthy, rotten, and corrupt flesh put on an immortal body, and we're called up together, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in Romans, now you talk about a value of the resurrection of life. In Romans 8 verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory of which shall be revealed in us. So the apostle, as he looked, he was looking beyond this veil of tears. We talked about Moses a little while back in Hebrews 11, that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all of the treasures in Egypt. So as Moses looks beyond this life, he's seeing something far more valuable at the end of this life. And he values that more than what he values in this life. Now Moses had all of the treasures and riches in Egypt to turn away. Paul has nothing. He's hungry sometimes. He's naked and he's cold sometimes. He's in prison most of the time. He's going to wind up having his head chopped off. But Paul says this, as I look at what I'm suffering and enduring and going through right now, but I look at what the Lord has prepared for me. He's prepared it from the foundation of the world. When I look towards what I have in the next life through Jesus Christ, this suffering is not worthy to be compared to what we're going to receive in the world that's to come. Moses said it's it's worth more than everything that Pharaoh has down in Egypt. And now Pharaoh in Moses' day, that was the the largest, the most powerful, and the richest nation on the face of the earth. They never were the same after the children of Israel were brought out. But at that time, they had the most. So it's worth more than everything in Egypt. It's worth so much that the very sufferings and trouble of this life are nothing in comparison The Lord likens it to a woman in travail. That that travail and that suffering, when the child is laid in the arms, all of that is nothing. When you've got the child, when you've delivered and brought forth, that suffering is for God. And so that's the way it's going to be for the church. we, We may suffer. There may be a great enduring in this life. Maybe as Kevin read of Paul, it may be for the gospel's sake. It may be for the church's sake that we suffer. It may just be our lot in life that we suffer. But know this, wherever we're found, whatever we're in, whatever we go through, whatever we endure, it is not worthy to be compared for the resurrection that the church has yet to come. So one more place in Revelation 7, verse number 14. And he said unto me, so John has saw a multitude. John says, who are these people? And he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now when we get to the end of resurrection of damnation, there's a little few verses in Revelation about them. I'd like to compare these two. But look at where the church are. They have came out of great tribulation. There's been great trouble. There's been great affliction. Jacob himself said, Few and evil. Job said, a few days and full of trouble. I believe you can find that theme all through the Word of God. And you know, though we have joy in Christ this life, it's trouble on every side. There's a headache on every side. There's something to always worry about, something that's always troubling us, something that's always there. They've came out of great tribulation They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, because of this, so who's in this? Only those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, they're before the throne of God. They are where God is. We come down here to a church in a picture and in a shadow We're coming to God's house to hear the Word of God. But here in Revelation, they're not at a church building hoping to hear preaching, but they're in the presence of God Himself. They're before His throne and before His face. Just as you sit before me today in the resurrection of life, there they sit before God Himself. And as we have enjoyed the presence of the Holy Ghost in this life, through, through the, the flesh and the carnal mind and all of the wickedness and evil thought, thoughts of man and the weariness of our mortal bodies and all of these things, the great joy that we've had of the Holy Ghost just giving us a glimpse Of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you reckon that it's going to be like to be in His presence before His face, worshiping Him day and night? Now, there's not any plowing of the fields, there's not any building a mansion, there's not any fishing in the river of life, there's not any hunting. You hear all manner of foolishness. You know what they're doing? They are worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're doing it day and night. Uh, when, When the Holy Ghost does give you a little glimpse, you know what you want to do? You want to sing. You want to testify. There's something that you would like to offer, some praise to God, but to lay eyes on Him Himself And be free of the mortal body. There will be no fear then of so and so is going to think this. Or I can't act that way in front of people. None of that will be in our way any longer. We'll be shed of all of the trouble. And all of the doubt. And all of the fear. And we'll be in his presence. And we'll give him glory. And we will never have to stop. A never ending service. To the world, that sounds like a bear and grievous. But my, of the heart of them that know the Lord, won't it be wonderful to look at Him and to glorify Him free of the flesh? I hope you can see the joy of that. Lord, what victory we've got. Endure in this life. Stay with it because it's going to be worth it in the end. We're going to get to see Him one day in His glory and our hearts will be able to exalt Him for His goodness on us. There's no need to quit. No need to be discouraged. Victory is guaranteed. This is not a, hopefully it's going to happen if these things fall in place. This is a promise of God to the church. It is. He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Oh, the Lord's going to be pleased to dwell among His people. We're not chaining Him up to us. It's not that He has to, but the love and the apple of His eye, we're going to be in the midst He's going to be pleased to be there. That's where He wants to dwell. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. You know what's going to happen in a few hours? We're going to get hungry. We're going to be thirsty. We're going to need to go to the bathroom. We're going to be thinking, and I don't care what's going on, there's going to be something this body needs before the end of this service. And our mind's going to be pulled away. This crowd, they don't hunger. they got a new body. They're not living off of food and water. They're living off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God all of their need is supplied in the throne of God almighty they'll need hunger neither thirst anymore neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat boy they're in they're in perfect comfort here's the picture of a people that's that's outside in the glory in the sun you know what's going to happen after a little while you're going to get cooked you're going to be burnt But here's a people with... And that's the sun now. And the sun is, I I don't know how many miles away, but it's many, many miles away. And you spend two hours out there and you're burned. Now here's a people, they've got a glorified body. And it's not the sun that they're before. The sun don't burn everything up. The presence of God burns everything up. When He appears everything, even the elements are going to melt. But this church's glorified body, like unto the Son of God, they can sit in His presence and the sun's not lighting on them. They're not being burned and they're not hot either. They are comfortable in the Father's presence. That speaks a lot, I believe. I believe today when the Father comes by His people are comfortable in His presence. You know who squirms when the Father comes by? Adam and Eve squirms. Because they're guilty. They're not comfortable in His presence. Because they're guilty. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, remember how the Father and Son are inseparable. Well, here's the throne of God, and you know who's in the middle of it? The Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall feed them and shall lead them into fountains of living waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. A complete deliverance and victory for the church of the living God. Paul cried many a tear. He's not crying tears any longer. Paul was very sorrowful. He had much. He says in one place, even the the weight of the churches. And that's not a quote. But he's talking about all that's on his mind every day and the care of the churches around the country that he had been to. He prayed for them. He worried over them. He sought for them to be established. And today he's delivered in victory. You can read what Kevin wrote and you can say, I I know that Paul is enjoying the victory. Well, I got news for you all of them in Christ Jesus, they will enjoy the same victory, the same resurrection, the same life. So that's just a few places thinking about the resurrection of life. Now the resurrection of damnation. So again, back in Matthew 25. So remember in Matthew 25, the the sheep were gathered. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We saw that. Now what about the others, the goats? Then shall he say to them on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world. And hell, everlasting fire was prepared from the foundation of the world. One thing that's good to understand, I believe, and not to be too technical, but there's two words. There's Hades. That's a Greek word. A lot of times in the book, it's talking about the grave. (coughs) The grave. It's translated often as hell. And there's another Greek word, Gehenna. Gehenna's in reference to the the lake of fire at the end. It's translated as hell also. But here, we all know what he's talking about here. Those that are on the right hand, they're coming into the kingdom of God that God's prepared for them. And the others, they're into everlasting, no end, no stopping, fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 13, 42. Cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So a furnace, a place designed for burning. I believe that's what he's saying in Matthew 25. This is an everlasting fire that's been prepared. And you know, people say, well, how can there be an everlasting fire? Well, when they can explain to me how the sun's burned for 10,000 years, some people say billions. If they can tell me how that's burned that long and I can't get a truckload of propane to keep my gas logs lit for a week solid, then I'll I'll argue with you about everlasting fire. But this is something that God has designed and made. A furnace of fire. There shall be. What's going to be like in this furnace of fire? Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Sounds of suffering. Legitimate suffering and pain. You know, that's uncomfortable enough. You ever been in a place where you can hear that? Where you've heard legitimate wailing and gnashing of teeth? That's not somewhere I want to be. Just the sound. That's where these folks are going. The wailing and gnashing of teeth is from the torment that there is. In Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. And we know the Lord also says the eye and the foot. If they offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So to the, the resurrection of life, there's nothing in this world worthy to be compared to the life that the church has in eternity. But this judgment, it's better to lose it all than to enter into the resurrection of damnation. He says it'd be better for you to cut off your hand, if that would if your hand prevents you from entering into the kingdom, it'd be better to cut it off and enter in, and to enter into the resurrection of life maimed. It'd be better to pluck one of your eyes out if that and doing that, you can pluck your eye, cut your hand off, and saw your foot off, and still not be saved. That's not what he's saying. But if that's what prevents you from coming, right. even your hand, your eye, or your foot, would be better to lose that. You see, he's, he's trying to tell us how terrible that this judgment is. What an awful place that this is. It would be better to lose all these members than it would be to be cast into this place. Into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. So it's everlasting fire. It's a furnace of fire. Here in Mark, it's a fire that never shall be quenched. So it's not going to go down. You see, that's what he's saying. It's a fire that is burning, that is never going to cool off. It's never going to burn up. Where their worm, dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So their worm. I believe you can look in Luke. We'll look there next. Luke sixteen, verse twenty three. And in hell he lift his eyes, being in torments. So this is the rich man. So he's died, and he's lift his eyes in hell. And he's in torments. That that word is torture. He's in a place of torture, a place of pain. And he's able to see Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And he recognizes them. He knows who Abraham is. I don't know by what we read. He's years after Abraham. He's never laid eyes on him. But he sure does know Lazarus. And he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented. I'm tortured in this flame. Do you remember the children of light? They're not hot. The sun doesn't light on them. They're not hungry and they're not thirsty. This man's tortured In a flame, his mouth is dried out. You ever had a real dry mouth? We're talking tormenting every facet of the imagination. And he says, if he could just dip his finger in some water and just cool my tongue, give me a little bit of relief. Just something to relieve some of my Suffering and my torture. We all know uh, Abraham's son, remember. Now I believe there's the worm. Remember, here's the rich man, and he still has remembrance of this life and of this world. The worm that never dies, a conscience, a remembrance, and a mind that's present there. He's able to look in heaven and recognize those that he lived with on this earth. He's also able, as you know, to remember his brothers that are still alive on the earth. He's able to remember how that he lived, how that he spent his time, how little that he thought of Lazarus. He's able to remember how that he neglected the word of God. He neglected the gospel and he did not believe the word. He's able to remember that he led his brothers wrong and he's able to remember that they're coming to the same place. When they die, does he know that they're there? I I can't answer that. I can't answer that. But the way it looks, a worm that never dies, he's there to worry about them and their condition and where they're headed. He's still worried about them. And so he's tormented in pain. He's tormented with Thirst, he's tormented in fire, he's remembering his good life and his neglect of the gospel, he's remembering his brothers that he led astray, that he did not teach them the right way, and he's remembering that they're heading to the same place that he's heading. <coughs> So, Abraham says of his end, but now he is comforted. The, uh, Lazarus. Lazarus is comforted, and thou art tormented. See here again, the left hand and the right hand. One into life and one into death. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. That's, this is the way it is, Abraham says. Nothing can be done about it. Once this resurrection takes place, as the tree falleth, so shall it lie. There's uh, the uh, Lazarus, he's in heaven, he's comforted, he's resting. There's the church in the presence of God, comforted and resting and rejoicing and glorifying the Lord. And yet those that are in the resurrection of damnation, there they are in torment, in fire, in fear, in worry, in the sound and the racket of it forevermore. Nothing can be done. They're there. And he says, I pray thee, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. Lazarus' job is done, he's resting. But Abraham says something very, very interesting. He says, They would not hear if Lazarus rose from the dead and went to preach to them. Now isn't that interesting? If we're going to persuade Spring Creek of the Lord Jesus Christ of resurrection, if we could go up there and get somebody that died in the last year and bring them up and let them preach, I don't know of anything that would be any more convincing. Do you? But Abraham says they're not going to hear though one rose from the dead. The Lord Jesus did rise from the dead. It did happen, but that's not enough to persuade. It's not in magic tricks and in picture shows and in movies and in depictions and in plays. Those things, though emotional, though astounding, that doesn't bring the godly sorrow from the heart. You know what Abraham said they have? They've got Moses and the prophets. The Word of God. The Old Testament. The Old Testament is sufficient to bring them to life. How is that going to be? That's by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. One rose from the dead, though miraculous is not enough. It's by the call, the effectual call to the individual that brings man to belief of the truth. In Luke 13... Verse 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. They're seeing the people that are in life. Now he's speaking to Jews here. That's who they looked up to. They trusted in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, all of these that were in their lineage. That's what they were trusting in to get them to heaven. They can see them in life. And we don't have any evidence that the church is seeing people in hell. That's just not the case. And they're not seeing people on the earth either. That's stupid. That's what that is. You tell me that I'm at rest and at peace looking down on people in sin. There's no way. It's not happening. That is completely and utterly foolish. It's not worth our time. But here, people in torment, they're seeing people in life. The rich man could see Lazarus. Here, they're seeing. So, we've got pictures of this. We've got the ark in Noah's day that the people made fun of and they mocked, and they, no doubt, they persecuted Noah for all that he was doing. And yet, here comes the flood. The flood is lifting up the ark, and you know where everybody's eyes went to the ark, floating above the destruction. I don't know how God worked, but I believe that everybody in that country, they got to see it floating before they drowned. Well, here, those in hell, they're seeing the church in glory. They're seeing family members that that witnessed, that had lives, that had testimonies, They're seeing them in glory and remembering Mm -hmm. that we hated them and made fun of them. Remembering the rejection of the gospel. It's torment on every facet of life. And we've got another picture. Rahab in Jericho, she had a house that was on the wall. We know they marched around that seven days. Seven times on the seventh day, they blew the trumpet and what happened at Jericho? They failed. But Rahab's house was on the wall. So how do we make sense of that? Well, the, the walls must have failed except for one section, one piece where Rahab's house sat and everybody in the city there was one house that was left up there on the wall. That's where everybody's eye went. How did they make it? By the line of scarlet. True. By the blood of the Lamb of God. The church is going to be glorified. You don't need to worry about glorifying yourself and trying to look big. The church will have victory and it will be acknowledged by the enemy. True. The Lord will glorify. The Lord will repay. So why are they in this place of torment? It's the wrath of God. I think sometimes, sometimes that's missed and it's the devil's fault. And the devil done this. But really it's the wrath of God. Remember in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. So who we got to be saved from? The devil? The devil's going to the same place. This place is made for the devil. No. No, it ain't the devil that I need to be afraid of, and it's not the devil that I need to uh, be saved from. The devil's got a short time in your flesh when your flesh is dead the devil's time's done ain't that's the truth that's the truth and so it's god it's the wrath of god that man needs to be delivered from now in revelation 14 remember i told you I wanted to compare the two scriptures we read in revelation 7 what John saw the end of the church was. Now listen in Revelation 14, verse number 10, he's going to see the end of those that are non-believers. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now this is a parable. This is something we can see and we can understand what's going on. The wine of the wrath of God. Do you think God is angry with sin? Do you think God is angry with the rejection that He faces? With the, the wickedness that goes on sometimes even in spite toward His name and toward His word. You think God is angry with the mocking and mockery made of the Son of God that gave His life for man. You know what these folks are going to drink? They're going to drink the wrath of God. In a picture of wine, the wrath of God, they're going to drink it in and it's going to be poured out without mixture. Uh, Any judgment that we see today is with mixture. There is mercy. There is compassion mixed in. Even the worst diagnosis you could get is nothing to be compared to the wrath of God being poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, burning anger. You ever get mad and you feel like you're on fire? So the wrath of God, oh God is love. God is love to them on His right hand. To them on His left. They're going to drink His unmixed wrath out of the cup of His burning anger. Without mixture. And and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Sulfur. Sulfur. That's brimstone. So you can get the smell of it too. The fire, we've all been burned a little. Some maybe more. You know kind of what that feels like. You know what fire looks like. You've been close enough to feel the heat on your face. We've got a little understanding of that. We've got the smell of sulfur fire. We've got torment, tortured. Tortured. Tortured in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Oh, the one that was made little of and thought little of. You know what's going on? They're down here being punished and there the angels and the Lamb stand looking down. You know, you get convicted of murder in a capital murder case and you're going to get the death penalty They may electrocute you in the chair. They may shoot you up with a lethal injection. They might do a firing squad. But you know what's going to happen? The family, if they want to, they can come in and watch you get that lethal dose. They're getting closure. They're seeing justice brought to pass. The Lamb and the angels, they're going to see justice carried out and brought to pass. And the smoke of their torment, the smoke of their torture, ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worshiped the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. (coughs) We've talked about the beast several times. You know what? They they worshipped. It's past tense. E.D., this happened in the past. When did it happen? In this life. That as the gospel and the word of God, the salvation of the Lord is going out, their heart and their mind was in this world and in this life and in the gain and the good and the pleasure of it. They spent their life here serving natural things and never submitted to the word of God. And therefore, here they are. They have no rest day or night. Boy, it looks like the church was in rest day and night worshiping the God that gave them victory. They're in torments and the church is at peace with no pain. They're not even hungry or thirsty and they're not even breaking a sweat. Just a few places. Now when you compare those two, I mean, is it not a, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Who in the world would choose one over the other? Nobody in their right mind wants to enter into the resurrection of damnation. Nobody. Some may just say, well, I, I don't believe it's real. But that you can't change what the Lord Jesus Himself spoke while he was on the earth. This is real. This is the Word of God. But you know what's wrong? Man is so blinded by sin, by corruption, by the curse, that he can't see that he's in danger of this judgment. Even though, and I'm telling you, if you wanted to get emotional... You could play on emotions with some of this torment and torture and I've tried my best not to just to explain what's in the book. You could play on emotions and get some emotional reaction to the way this is worded. But emotions, that that doesn't persuade. That doesn't produce godly sorrow. That doesn't bring about repentance and contrition towards God. The only way a man can be saved is that the grace of God open his eyes, bring him from the dead, and call him to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the church has a promise of life that you and I, when we think about it in our minds, we can never see the glory of the life that's to come. Don't forget that. Paul was, was confident that God was going to keep what he had committed to him we're confident in the same Word of God and in the same God. So don't give up on that. But on the flip side of that, the lake of fire, Gehenna, the furnace of fire, the torment that's there is more than though we think about it for uh, the rest of our life. We can never get our mind around how, how terrible the torture in that place is going to be. They are exact opposites. They are light and darkness. As good as one is, the other is equally evil. So, I hope we could see that. I'm going to stop right there. I don't really have time to start in verse 30. But I thank the Lord for His wonderful word for His wonderful promise and all that He's revealed to us through His Scripture. We wouldn't know any of this had God not chose to reveal it. We wouldn't know the hell that we were heading towards had God not revealed it in His Word. That's, That's the truth too. It's the truth. Anything on your heart you'd like to say, pray for us.